Welcome to Season 11 of the Art of Teaching podcast. My name's Matthew Green, and I'm so grateful that you've joined me today. Before we get started with our discussion, I would like to acknowledge the Darawal people, the traditional custodians of this land on which I'm recording, and pay respect to Elders past, present and emerging. I acknowledge the stories, traditions and living cultures of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples on this land. Today I have the great pleasure of sharing a recent conversation that I had with the brilliant Stephanie McConnell, who is the founding principal of Linfield Learning Village. As the founding principal, she had the unique opportunity to design a new educational model and build a school to make this model into a reality. Linfield Learning Village is a stage, not age, K-12 public school where student agency, voice and choice are at the centre of the learning design. Their transdisciplinary approach to learning goes beyond the curriculum and allows students to pursue their passions through a human-centred design thinking approach. I hope that you get as much out of this wide-ranging discussion as I did. Please enjoy. Stephanie, welcome to the podcast. Uh, thank you. Thank you so much for joining me. Where are you phoning in from? Um, thank you so much for having me. I am um, I'm phoning in tonight from Darug country, actually, mm. beautiful Darug country in uh, on the northern suburbs of Sydney. So Fantastic. great to be here. An absolutely beautiful part of our wonderful city. Uh, it's uh, you, you mentioned that you had quite a busy day today. Um, <laughs> how's your day been? Oh, look, it's, I don't think there, there is a day that's not busy, Matthew, but it's, um, I think that's what I love about what I do. And every day is different. Every day is is about different interactions with different humans. And, and I think that's at the, the real heart of what we do as teachers right. and educators. Yeah, absolutely. And quite possibly the most uh, important question for our conversation, what's your coffee order for when I can finally nip up to the northern suburbs and right. drop some caffeine? That's just changed recently, actually. It's now an almond latte, actually. Right. So, yeah, just enjoying a bit of almond uh, almond milk lately. So that's it. And was that a, um, uh, so that was a change, like you mentioned, from milk? Is that a, a, a health reason or? Um, um, I'm interested it, in making the shift myself as well. So Right. Okay. Well, it was probably two reasons. There was um, a, a health consideration just in terms of, you know, the, the joy of middle age in uh, in, in, a, in a world you, yeah. where you never sit down and have a have a healthy lunch and you just get in whatever you can at the time, but also um, at at schools as we all know, um, milk goes off in the fridge and you always go for the milk when it's two days past its use by date, and so yes. um, milk I can get in a long life version and just. You know, it tastes better to have milk that's not off. <laughs> Fantastic. I, I would agree with that. And um, Stephanie, is there a book that you've read recently? It could be within your expertise in education or it could be more broadly that has caused you to uh, stop and reconsider a few things in your life. Uh, yeah, absolutely. That I think that's such an important question because um, the joy of reading and constantly being challenged by different thinking is mm. critical, I think, in the work that we do. So for me, my most recent inspiration is a book called The Coddling of the American Mind. Right. Um, and there's some really interesting and challenging concepts in that uh, in terms of the way 
we think about the the young people that we teach today Amazing. the influences on them socially politically economically religiously all, all of those things that have changed significantly in recent times and this whole concept of cancel culture and um yeah. you know trigger warnings and not wanting yeah, to hear wow. opinions and you know that real narrowing of thinking into a world where um, we we don't want to hear another opinion, which in effect really mm. uh, undermines democracy. It undermines yeah. free speech and critical thinking Absolutely. and all those sorts of things. So it's really interesting, Reid. Yeah, I look, I'll make sure I put the uh, the links to any resources mm-hmm. that you mentioned in the show notes. And um, when you were speaking, it just made me think of um, I, I've got a dear friend of mine who vehemently disagrees with me on 95% of topics, but he's one of my most uh, trusted and valued friends. And I think it's a good reminder that if you, if everyone around you thinks the same way, then probably you should get a new circle of friends, I would imagine. Absolutely. I think that's a very true, true statement. Um, Because otherwise I think we just, you know, I've been talking lately at, at school about, we can't swirl around in our own juices. We've got to keep looking out. We've got to keep challenging ourselves. We've got to yeah. keep looking for that um, that person that's going to make us feel uncomfortable because um, that's that's super important. Yeah, and, and uh, Stephanie, um, if you could have a dinner party with anybody, um, who would you like to invite? Obviously, your family doesn't count in the head count, but who would you love to sit down with and have have a share a meal with wow yeah that's that's a really good question i um i think there's a, there's a whole variety of of people from a range of different backgrounds that would be really interesting to have a dinner party with but mm-hmm. um you know most recently i think you know i'd have to say, i'd have to say sam kerr because you know we've just had such an oh, incredible yeah. Um, transformation of thinking around women and women's sport um, yeah. and the Matildas and all of the amazing work that's that's sort of gone into an incredible career path yeah. there. Um, yeah. I would have loved to sit down with Ken Robinson for a meal. I, I saw him just before he passed in and he's such an inspirational person to Sorry. speak to. Um, I, I just, I think there are so many awesome educators yeah. in this country, but I think just in terms of thinkers, Julia Gillard has always been a real inspiration for me. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, that's great. Yeah. I mean, what a dinner party. I mean, that that's enough, isn't it? <laughs> that's right. I know there'd be, there'd be great conversation just with those three. Yeah. It, it's interesting. Um, you mentioned Sam Kerr. I, I'm the proud dad of two, uh, uh very strong willed uh, daughters, uh, and, <laughs> Um, just watching, um, watching my three and a half year old and, uh, and, and five and a half year old watch the Matildas play football was really wonderful. I don't know any girl in Australia, um, that doesn't now want to play for the Matildas and to see a, a sold out sports stadium, um, at a woman's sporting event, especially soccer was 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 amazing and really I think it it marked a a, a real point in our national history and and my hope is that it's the the norm of the that that it's normal now you know I think it's really Absolutely. really yeah. wonderful but um for those people that are listening to this later um <laughs> so uh, the, the Matildas unfortunately <laughs> uh they, they lost to England which is my I was born in England and I'm yet to put out a post to say that I'm excited that England is through to the finals I think it's a bit too soon uh to uh to do that but um 
that's I mean that's really interesting, Stephanie, and I think that would be a wonderful um, a wonderful dinner party. Um, just um, I, I want to move on relatively quickly to talk about your amazing work at Linford Learning Village. But before I do that, um, what was your experience at school like? And did you have a um, did you have a teacher um, that really made a positive impact in your life? Um, yeah, I think school was a really interesting experience for me, and I think you know, as with all of us, it really shapes your views on education. It also is quite disturbing because everyone we interact with in schools has been in school themselves, mm. therefore has an opinion on it. But mm-hmm. um, I went to a school that um, was quite relatively new when when I first went there, didn't have a uniform um, and was, um, you know, a, a sort of quite a... Um, an interesting mix of of people. It was uh, it's called Muirfield High School, great school. Mm-hmm. Um, I was I was one of those students who who liked to do well and do do the right thing. I, but if I wasn't stimulated and engaged in the classroom, I could be really naughty. Right, so, interesting. Um, yeah, I think I, I met some incredible teachers there and people who I went on to work with beyond. You know, when I I became a teacher as well. Um, uh, incredible inspirational people um and also probably people who taught me who I didn't want to be as a teacher as well and yeah. I think you know both That's sides are important yeah yeah did, um, yeah did did you think you would end up um running a um a school uh I mean looking no, back no not on your life I I, my mum said to me, oh, look, Stephanie, teaching's a lovely profession for a woman. So I said, right, well, that's one thing I won't be doing then. <laughs> and uh, so decided I'd, you know, went off to uni, did a uh, communications degree and uh, majored in television right when the television industry went through down the gurglum. So um, decided at that point, okay, well, maybe mum was onto something and maybe that's probably something that I'm, I'm actually naturally talented and and uh, have a passion for so yeah. my teaching degree never looked back were there any sort of uh, crossovers do you think from your television career to uh, to teaching um it feels like television is all about acting and i'd imagine your role as a principal would be similar uh totally yeah look yes um it, it's it was certainly probably more behind the scenes uh from the television perspective but yeah, uh, yeah the communications degree I have never regretted at all. Um, as a secondary English teacher, it was it was um, fundamental to what yeah. I was doing um, in yeah. teaching kids English and different text. Uh, you know, the the movement into analysing film and and yeah. uh, television texts were amazing, fantastic. So, um, for those people that aren't familiar with your journey, take me back um, uh, to sort of early career, uh, early career in education to where you are now. Uh, what were some of those key moments for you that um, that kind of lit that fire and lit that passion for educational mm-hmm. leadership for you? I think so just going back make that transition. Yeah, sure, sure. Um, I guess going back to your previous question, I was when I was at school. I was, I think that was when. You know the person I am now, and the reason I do what I do, um, in terms of of the work, um, is because I was never satisfied that what was being provided in schools was enough to uh, prepare young people for the world 
that we live in today. So I was a bit of a, a mover and shaker as a student and pushed for the first student representative council to happen at my school. And uh, the principal was was a bit of a resistant old old bugger, and <laughs> he he tended to make life pretty difficult for me because I kept pushing for change. I kept pushing for student voice. I kept wanting to have that advocacy for um, for the students that were in the school. And I think that's where if I were to to sort of put my my hand on my heart and say, what is at, at the centre of, of what drives me every day? It's that sense that we can always be doing better and we need to do better for young people of today. It's not okay to keep rolling out uh, a system that was produced 100 years ago to create fantastic factory workers yeah. in the 21st century. It's just irrelevant. So my journey started um, with a phone call when I was. I decided I wasn't going to go straight into teaching after I finished my degree and got a, a phone call on the Sunday night before school started saying, well, Stephanie, you're a targeted graduate, so you've got three choices. You can go to Colleton High School, Marylands High School, or um, I think it was Plumpton at the time. Uh, the Marylands High School job is uh, a mobile position. I said, okay, what's what does that mean? And she goes, I don't know. I said, okay, can I think about it? that and make a decision because at that time I was having a lovely time working in the banqueting department of the Park Royal and um, she said no you've got to tell me now so I said uh, okay well the mobile position sounds like I could probably uh, get out of that one if I if I didn't want to be there so I'll take that one so ended up for the next 15 years at Marylands High School Um, and I think they were incredible years formative years in terms of who I became as a teacher yeah um, incredible young people, incredible um, experience in, and and a community there that really nurtured me. Great leaders that I worked with there. Um, Stacey Quince, Lila Malachik, um, mm-hmm. all were really strong influences on my leadership journey. Um, people who threw me in the deep end and trusted me to be able to um to take on whatever project um, was yeah. was uh, there at the time, and I still, uh, out of out of all the schools that I've worked in, uh, I still work with people that I started working with at, at Marylands, and I still have my closest connections to those people. So it was a really yeah. incredible time of my career path. And then, um, just for a, a piece of you know, it's a really significant culture shock. I went from there to Kalara High School mm-hmm. um, as a head teacher English, and then. Spent uh, four years there, and and that I think was was transformational as well. Just in recognizing that in this city that I live and work in, um, there is such incredible diversity right. and incredible um, you know differences in opportunity and levels of equity for young people in education. Mm-hmm no matter where you go and no matter how privileged the background of the students that you are teaching, every child needs connection, needs belonging, um, needs nurturing and care and to feel like, you know, they they um, they can own the pathway ahead of them. Mm-hmm. So yeah. that was that was really important. Wow. And then from there went to Taramara High School as deputy principal. And then a year later, uh, found myself um, as principal at Taramara and was there for eight years. But that part of my journey was when I knew that um, that the Department of Education had bought the old UTS site at Linfield mm-hmm. and was talking about making it into a school. So 
um, sort of wriggled my wow. way into a steering committee and then a project reference group and yeah. and then um you know met the amazing professor Stephen Heppel and yeah. Fiona Young and uh, and some people who who then were, were very formative in well we we built the educational model for Linfield at that time while I was still principal at Taramara. Um, and you know I look back on that time with with you know still incredulous at the opportunity that I have been given because it doesn't happen ever and it will never happen again that you get to design a new educational model and then design with the architects the school to suit Amazing. that model it Amazing. never happens <laughs> so yeah incredible and yeah. of course um, 2018 I was successful in getting the principal's position at Lincoln Village to open the school the following year wow I um I was just recently at an event um with Fiona Young um it was um an architectural event with UTS um and a partnership with her um organization Hayball and I, I walked in and just saw it was so inspiring inspiring to see um these new school designs and these conceptual models of what schooling could be and it was really actually um I gave her, it was, I'd, I'd spoken to her a number of times on the phone, but it was the first time I met her in person and I gave her a hug, but it was like an ugly, like <laughs> sort of cry on her shoulder, just going, oh my gosh, this is just amazing. And and um, it, it's really, really wonderful to see people challenging the status quo like that. And um, I, I just wanted to ask you, Stephanie, how, how do you kind of know what to say yes to? Because there's so many people I think that would just, lock into a profession whether that be teaching or another stable profession and just kind of stay there it seems like you've um you've said said yes to a lot of things um is that important to you how do you decide what to say yes to what to commit yourself to um because i mean looking back it seems to all make sense all the dots seem to join together but i'm sure it probably wasn't that case the case when you were in the moment was it scary was it I know I've asked you a number of questions there sorry no no I, I mean I, I think what really resonates with me and certainly part of a, a lot of that period of time leading up to the development of the model for Linfield and then the building of the school was visiting as as many schools as I can I could as as far and wide as I could and and bowerbirding pieces of each of those those schools and if you you came to my school I would be able to point out both in the pedagogies and the spaces and the thinking that came from this school that came from this school this is the mm. one I put here mm. but that yes and culture the the default position of yes yeah. yes you know, Peter Hutton probably talked about that because that was probably yeah. a tendency thing I think I picked up from him but yeah. Um, he talked it, a lot about that, yeah. He would have, yeah. Um, and I think that saying yes for me is probably the way that I have approached my career path and my life because um, I love being challenged. I love um, taking on new things and um, and you have to say yes in order to do that, but at the same time, you're right, you can't say yes to everything, but the thing that, that determines 
whether you do say yes is is whether it really resonates with your heart and soul you know that your passion the the place that you want to be and the pathway that you want to take so um i think that's really what helps determine whether yeah. It's- yeah i i think that's i think that's true and it's really inspiring when we when i sort of hear your journey because as i mentioned um we're in a profession uh, we both work for the same organization the department of education and i'm incredibly proud to work for that organization but I think a lot of people kind of stay and don't challenge themselves and this is not just a reflection of our organization or a reflection of of, of of particular industries but it's very easy to get comfortable isn't it and just and that maybe goes back to what we're talking about before surrounding yourself with people that agree with you um it, it's very easy just to sit back we've got a very comfortable profession with great sick days and great holidays and security and but yet there's mm-hmm. something more which I think is really important and um it, it, is it what are some of the things that you or how do you know when to say no to an opportunity is it does it is it back to that alignment that you were talking about um, um yeah I think so and and look I would also say in response to the description um, that you've given because I think that description is very much uh, what the broader society sees education to be. Yes, yes. absolutely. Great holidays, yeah. you only work from nine to three, for goodness sake, what are you whinging about? Um, it's not that it's, <laughs> at all. No. That is, and, and that's another book that I would say is one that's really important at the moment, Song of Significance by Seth Godin. It's, um, yeah. It is the significance of the work that we do. Yeah. and um I, I guess just to answer your question about how you know when to say no it's for me the the vision statement for Linfield Learning Village is that we make school better for every student every day yeah simple right <laughs> maybe not it, it it's it's actually an incredibly complicated vision to yeah. fulfill when you think yeah. about the complexity that that mm. involves for every single individual that you deal with on a daily basis. So yeah. yeah, that for me is when you say no, if it's not the right thing for this child today in order to make school better for them, then the answer is no. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I very rarely say no when, in fact, I don't. I don't say no when someone comes to me with an idea because that is that's it's super important to me to be enabling thinking, enabling ideas, um, and to celebrate and embrace failure. You know, we have a festival of failure halfway through every term at Linfield Learning Village. It's, it is, you know, it's about that's where where I guess you know when to say no when you've tested something and it's failed mm-hmm. and you go, okay, well that's not going to work. Yeah. But what have we learned from that experience that we that will inform? Yeah. Absolutely. What are some things that you um, love about being a principal, and and what are um, what are some of the challenges? I mean, yeah, yeah, that's a really interesting question because the answer is the same for both, I think, mm-hmm. and it's the incredible opportunity and privilege that you have to be deeply involved in the lives of young people. And the most rewarding parts of that, you know, just for me last night, I was at school for our term to mountaintop. Um, every every term we have a celebration of learning our mountaintop experiences. And last night 
was inspired, we call it. And it's a celebration of our basically our year 12 um, students doing their major works. And and it was just mind-boggling. Some of these these young people have had the most challenging journeys. Um, and to see them get up and speak with such confidence about what they have learned and so incredibly articulate about uh, and about their their learning process and the the ability to reflect on on who they are and and what their journey has been is it was just it made it was, I was in tears I was sitting there listening to them speak and knowing their story Gosh. and thinking this child I cannot believe that they are here right now mm. and then the, I think on the flip side the most challenging part of being a principal is that you do have that insight into the challenges faced by young people in their world outside school and sometimes yeah. within school and it comes yeah. into school and therefore it becomes part of that challenge to look at the whole human and you know as I, I say to you know we get lots and lots of visitors come and and spend days with us at Linfield which is fantastic because it helps us to really be clear in our thinking about what we do and why we do it but I was saying to a group that was in yesterday you know that the teaching profession is one where um, every component of what we do has a human element. So we have, we're really lucky to have one of our parents who works as a senior engineer at Atlassian, and he comes in and talks to us about, you know, all sorts of things to help us think differently about what we do. But, you know, I try to explain to him, look, you, you, you've got this fantastic device. You guys build stuff on this computer. And, and, and you know, I don't know what, you know, Atlassian has got their fingers in so many in the technological world oh. and the human element for you is your team right but for me it's my team it's the parents it's the students it's the community every part of that has a human component therefore is unpredictable and we can never be completely strategic we have to always be balancing the strategic and the responsive as yeah. as and I think the other side of that for me is that I believe in my experience, that teaching is one of the, the very few professions where your personal identity is so deeply connected with your professional identity. Yeah, yeah, it's true. When, when your professional identity is challenged or when you are asked to do something different, it really gets to the heart of who you are and it really challenges that person. Um, yeah. And that's why I think going back to the way you were describing, you know, the what schools are like and how how crazy it is, um, it's it's really it's really diff diff difficult to shift mm -hmm. uh, people's thinking when they Absolutely. just get locked into doing things the way they've always done it every year, yeah, yeah. Um, because they don't want to challenge that inner part of themselves that might um, be afraid of changed and certainly that's a very common thing in teaching and we yeah. also have a default position as teachers that we go to and that that default position is control yeah when absolutely. things go pear-shaped when you feel like oh I've lost control of what's going on in this room it goes to right everyone sit down face the front silent listen to me teachers yeah um and it's really really difficult to shift it, it's it, it's true, and I have I have so many uh, so many follow up questions to that, um, uh, Stephanie. But 
I was just wondering, um, why do you think, and this sounds a little bit like a job interview, um, but why do you think you were the successful applicant um, for the role at Linfield Learning Village? I don't think anyone else was crazy enough to do it. And there's not enough hair dye and red wine in the world for, for, to do, to do. I think, the job of building a brand new school with a mandate to, you know, particularly within New South Wales public education, um, to do mm. something really different and to be innovative and to be a flagship school for New South Wales public education in terms of where we might want to go mm. next. Um, so I think I was possibly the successful applicant because I was able to be vulnerable with that concept, you know, in terms of putting myself on the line and, and saying, I don't really know, you know, we used to talk about in our first year of existence um, that we were building the plane as we flew it. But then Lou, my incredible deputy principal said to me, Steph, we don't even know if we're flying a plane yet. So, you know, you, you have to be able to sit with discomfort. You have to be able to be someone who can, you know, do all those things that we know are important, be agile, be flexible, be collaborative, be all of those things. And I guess the panel that appointed me to the position saw that. And I, I guess because I had been so fundamentally connected to the building of the model and of the building itself, it it placed me in, in a good position. So if we... um if we were to have some of your amazing leadership team uh, come and join our conversation, I, I promise that we don't, even though that would make a, an amazing podcast episode. Um, what do you think they would say um, about your leadership style? What do you think they would say some of your strengths are um, or some of the um, areas that you may need to grow in? Uh, like I said, this is not an interview. You've got the position. Uh, it does sound like... Uh, yeah what, what, what do you think they would say i mean it sounds like you have a really cohesive and honest team um yeah yeah that's an interesting one because i think um unlike a lot of principals i don't have a, a, a principal's office where i i sit in my high and mighty throne and don't sort of and people have to you know beg and plead to to walk in the door i work in a collaborative office with my two deputy principals and i have uh, a very open door policy we have um and, and I see myself actually at the bottom um my job is to enable what everyone else in the school does because they do the real work um on a daily basis so I think they would say that I was uh, I hope they would say that I was um open and available and visible as a leader I hope that they would say that I'm able to I, well actually what they did say that in the beginning was um that they couldn't believe that I was giving them the authority to make decisions to come up with ideas to give them a go and didn't care if they failed um in fact encouraged them to I think that was something people found really difficult in the beginning because we're so used to in the department of education particularly and in schools to having to do things right because if we don't do it right they are going to come and um and we're going to get in trouble and and I'll be taken off in that black taxi and never be seen again and and I keep saying to people they they don't exist so whoever you think they are outside sort of looking in big brothering us um they 
don't exist. And and I think my both of my deputies came to Linfield um, from the independent system. And their biggest revelation uh, in, within the six, first six months of working in public education was uh, was that public education is driven by fear, which I think is a really interesting observation, that we are afraid to change in case we get it wrong and in case something or somebody comes along and says, what were you thinking? You know, mm. why, why on earth would you change something that's been working this way for over 100 years. So, yeah, I, I think that's what people would say, that I am somebody who allows them to own and to work deeply collaboratively around um, that innovative process and the, the human-centred design mm. thinking process that it's at the heart of everything we do. In terms of what I would need to improve, uh, Sorry, they, say, they might say that I need yeah. to say no more often, actually, after what <laughs> But um, no, I, I think, you know, we do, we're very open with each other. And, and one of our values at Linfield is to be radically candid. And that's from Kim Scott's book and huh? um, to expect radical candor. And that is super important because being radically candid um, is about giving people honest, caring feedback in a, a climate of trust and um, and I think what we do in schools and what I've certainly been guilty of in the past and, and possibly still is to sit in that quadrant of ruinous empathy. So, you know, we are so, you know, wanting to um, make sure everybody's happy around us, particularly as leaders yeah. for our colleagues, that we just excuse. Um, I'm guilty of that too. Bad behaviour or poor practice or whatever it might be. Uh, rather than be curious about it and say, hey, I've just noticed that you've been a bit bit flat lately and, um, you know, tell me about that. Is there something going on there? So I would expect people to to say that to me as well. And and I do trust that my deputies, um, Lou and Mark, both do that and will mm. say to me sometimes, Steph, you need to be a bit tougher. You need to not just um, be nice to people all the time, they've said to me. But I know what they mean by that and it's not not to be horrible to people, but it's actually to yeah. challenge people more and to stop trying to please. And, and can I ask as well, like I, I spend a fair bit of time at looking at school strategic improvement plans and, and obviously uh, your one uh, in preparation for our conversation today. Um, but it did make me think, I mean, you've got a number of wonderful um, uh, pedagogical models on your website, but you've also, there's also requirements that you have as part of our organization our wonderful diverse organization so how do you um how do you do both of those yeah and obviously there's a uh there's obviously a responsibility for consistency and for um uh, uh obviously things need to be reported in particular ways you're working for a government organization mm. but you, you're still I don't really know where the question is there but I, I just yeah. wonder how you balance those two things because yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, I hear, I hear that was what a terrible saying. question, but hopefully you can unpack that somehow. So I, I, I think I can unravel what what you're asking because in order to, um, to do what we've been trusted to do or given the privilege of doing, in terms of looking for what is possible within the incredibly rigid structures of 
public education in New South Wales, um, is that, that we need to do both. We need to know policy inside and out. We need to know and have really clear understandings of, of what is required for us to meet um, you know, the, the New South Wales curriculum requirements and reporting and, and all of yeah. those things that, that policy um, in, informs us what you need to do as educators in the public system. But we need to know those documents so well that we can see where the holes are, see where the gaps are, and they have got deliberate holes and gaps in there. In fact, I can't think of any policy really um, in New South Wales public education that doesn't have leeway in it built into the language or there's this fantastic phrase that I love which is with principles discretion so I I um you know I think we would also say at Linfield that um the curriculum and the and the structures of of you know of a school are are our our very basic level that's just you know the the the, the floor and everything else we do is is so much more than that. So yes, of course we meet those requirements. Of course we jump through those hoops. Of course we tick those boxes. Of course I produce a SIP, um, a school improvement plan that yes. you have read online. But it is to meet a requirement that I have yes. for accountability and yes, report and um, annual reporting processes. But the real meat and heart of what we do at Linfield, yeah. Um, is not captured there. Yeah. And, 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 um, and particularly because up until recently, um, yeah. the main strategic direction was, was uh, yes. and the targets for New South Wales were based on NAPLAN results. And yeah, I probably probably not, don't need to go any further on what my opinion is of, yeah. of that measure. But anyway, it's no longer the case. So that's good. I think what, what what's so like inspiring about that is, and what you're doing at Limfield, and I, I promise we'll do a deep dive in some of your pedagogy in a moment, but is that it 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 is possible like it 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 truly is possible i mean i would not be working for any other organization than the department that I, the department of education that i'm working for and i i truly believe um it is possible to create a world class education system that transforms mm -hmm. the lives of young people and i hear all of the arguments that teachers are busy and stressed and the curriculum's overcrowded and i'm tired and i i i, I get that but I'm also silly enough to believe that you can do it. And I think what you're doing at Linford Learning Village is a testimony to the fact that you can, it can be done. It takes a lot of hard work that I'm sure there's a lot of way to go for you guys. You're not there yet, but it is possible. And I remember when I walked through the hallways of your school, as I said, before we hit record, I think it was at a conference and I just felt this, like it was like a breath of fresh air because it confirmed in me that it can be done. Mm. I don't really know how, but it, it can. And I think it's yeah, it's good to know. And and yeah, I mean, it, it must be hard yeah. like pioneering that and being the only one to mm. kind of do that within. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I think it's really incredible. Yeah, it is fantastic, and I think that's that's the joy of it because, as I said, we get hundreds and hundreds of visitors every year coming through, and that's what. And we certainly don't present ourselves as having the perfect answer that's that would be crazy to do that I think it's we're giving it a red hot go and we are um and, and what they what they say is 
first of all, when they walk in, they feel yeah, you feel it. That, they feel that culture. They feel that we live our culture. It's not just, you know, respect responsibility on a sign out the front. That's they're not they're not our values. They don't even come close to what our, our values are. They're much deeper and richer, but they're lived values. They are they talk about how articulate our students are about their learning and themselves. Um, and that's the first thing we do when visitors come in is we sit them down in our cafe with a, a bunch of students that we've just grabbed on their way past and said, come and come and talk to these people about what school's like for you. Um, and then we that. we also just, um, you know, it, it it's, I think that whole experience of um, having the opportunity to have a blank slate and I'm very aware that that is a unique opportunity but I have also been in a school where I have been working on shifting existing culture and that's much harder and slower I get that so I guess for all those people listening saying oh well that's fine she can do that because she got to start a brand new school and of course you can do it um, when you're in that situation but we can't because xyz this is the way we've always done it and that's the way it's always going to be but it is so critically important, I think, to um, to start challenging that thinking. Mm. And, yes, we had a blank slate, but we took very seriously what we were putting back onto that blank slate. And we didn't just put things back on there because that's what has always been done in schools. In fact, we questioned every single thing that we put back on there, and a lot of things didn't get put back on. So... Um, you know, a, a lot of what happens at Linfield is defined by what we don't do as much as what yeah. we do do. I love that. So it's, and and for a lot of people coming in and, and seeing that, like you said, you know, it, it shows them what's possible. And, you know, I knew from the day we walked in the door that the mandatory hour requirements in secondary education, particularly in the New South Wales public uh, curriculum, which is 100 hours more for core subjects than it is from the NESA requirements. Even with that, there is one whole day a week that is beyond mandatory hour requirements. So that time in schools is wasted time. It's, you know, spent on things like assemblies and roll call and transition and, and you know, a whole lot of other things that happen in schools with that whole day that could be used to do whatever you wanted. So we have built a, a signature program. We call it Beyond, and it, it's going mm. through you know iteration after iteration to get it right. But that is where we've collected together all of that wasted time in schools. I mean, some people out there will not like, not like the idea of not having an assembly because people have very strong beliefs about assemblies. And we do do an activity when people come in um, for professional learning with us. You don't sit and listen to a PowerPoint all day. You are very active. You are very engaged and embedded in, in what happens in our school. And we do a um, a sort of values exercise where you get up and you have to stand along a continuum and you're given a whole series of statements that you have to, that really challenge your inner belief as an educator and where you stand. And one of them is that our assemblies are a great way to teach students how to be part of a community, I think is the statement or something along those lines. And that can be a really polarising statement about, you know, in terms of where people stand on that continuum between strongly agree and strongly disagree. Mm. But when you unpack why it is that people hold that really deep belief about yeah. a city, yeah. they actually don't really know what it is. And it is, you know, it's an absolute boring waste of time for kids. As a principal, I used to hate it as, as well because, you you know, you just got, um, 
you got your Black Hawk teachers out amongst the the kids saying, shh, shh, listen, you know, listen to, you know, then you had to give them something to listen to. And um, and we also don't do uh, awards or punishment. So, you know, getting up and, and giving awards in assembly is not, not something that we do either. So, you know, all of that. Um, sort of comes together and and I and I think really challenges mm. what we do in schools and why we do it and and I think a lot of those things we don't even question and perhaps we should. Yeah, wow. Um, I, I I'm very uh, often sorry. I'm not very often lost for words. That um, <laughs> uh, there are that there are so many questions I have, and I'm sure at some point we will. We could even do a podcast episode in itself on why not to have assemblies. Um, I think it's <laughs> really wonderful. Um, uh, Stephanie, I'm just wondering, um, how do you, um, you mentioned you're somebody that doesn't often say no to anything when someone comes up with an idea and then comes and talks to you. How do you make sure everyone is like, is is moving in the same direction? Because yeah. innovation is is messy. There's a lot of things going on. How do you make sure your team isn't burnt out and stressed? And and how do you ensure people are moving towards that singular goal um, of of yeah. improving schooling for for kids? Yeah, that's a super important question. It's actually um, it's it's the thing that I see as critical to what my role is is in the school and um, and that you know one of our other values is to hold lightly, tread lightly. Um, and what we mean by that is hold lightly to ideas and um, and to tread lightly on a whole lot of things, on other people on the planet, on, on you know, there's a whole lot in in that value statement. But by holding lightly, teachers, when when they're designing learning for, for students, teachers tend to invest a whole lot of creative energy and, and time and into what that might look like. Um, which is great. That's that's the joy of the work that we do. But it's um, also the um, the fact yeah. that we we, we sort of um, hold really tightly to it. Then when we go into the classroom, so if it doesn't land, and you know, quite obviously, kids are you know losing the plot and and um, and it's not working we tend not to be able to pivot really, really easily. So, you know, it's holding lightly to those ideas and and, um, and the opposite to that in terms of answering your question is the thing that we don't hold lightly to is the vision and, um, yeah, wow. and the vision of, of who we are and why we do what we do is is what keeps people on track. So even saying yes to different initiatives and ideas around, um, you know, what we're where we're heading towards next. I am really confident that that people know what that direction is. They know what what our, we talk about our horizon goals. Yeah. So that we see where we're heading. We're not there yet, and we don't necessarily even have visibility over the pathway to get there. But we know what we're working towards and what what. I want people to do is to take that next step towards it. So yeah. um, really it, all the time my I feel like, you know, my myself and my my executive team are constantly pulling that rubber band back out 
to its extremes, pulling pulling it, you know, back out so it's taut again because it keeps wanting to pull back into the middle. And that's normal. That's, you know, that's human beings. We want to pull back into that conservative middle where we're comfortable, where it's predictable, where we know what's happening. Um, and, you know, by pulling it back out all the time, I think it, it clarifies for people where we want to be as well. So I don't, and, and we talk about in our role, again, as senior leaders to, to trust and verify. Mm. So unless you have that trust with people, you're never going to, you know, relationship is at the heart. Relationship of everything that we do in schools with students and with with teachers and parents. But um, having that really deep trust in the people that I work with means that when we talk about, well, you know, where are you up to with your thinking on that or with our plans for what's happening in that area, um, it's really easy to bring it back to a verification process around. Well, you know, that's that's not the pro, the necessarily the uh, direction we wanted to head in. So how can we pivot so that we can, you know, because people do tend to go off on tangents sometimes. It's a natural thing, but I find that that's less and less the case as we get a stronger sense of who we are as a school. But the challenge in that also is we grow by about. 200, 250 students a year at the moment. And I've got a waiting list of about 2,000 kids. So with that comes about, you know, 10 to 15 new staff every year as well. So it's maintaining the integrity of that culture as we grow. And I find that the, the more we grow and the more we change and develop our model, the bigger the gap it is for somebody coming in mm. new to the school that we have to then bridge for that person. Um, and we we're definitely getting better at that. It is it is not just a two week induction. It's it's a whole. It needs to be bigger than that. It needs to be a, a whole journey. But um, wow. yeah, it's that's probably more than what you asked for in that question. <laughs> but I no, not at all. And and, and as I said, I um I, I'm very aware that we we can't possibly talk about all of the amazing work that you're doing um, and that your school's invo involved in an hour. And, and I think that I feel like there has to be a some sort of follow-up conversation at some point in the mm -hmm. future. So I've processed uh, all of our conversation, but um, yeah. Do you, um, Stephanie, do you think you have balance and what does, what does that look like? Mm -hmm. is that even, I mean, is that even a, a thing? I don't, I don't know. Yeah, do totally. Uh, I think it absolutely is a thing and it has to be a thing and it is critical, I think, when we are looking at the most um, outrageous teacher shortage that, you know, has possibly ever been known, that we have to understand the importance of balance. I have, in this journey of the last five years and particularly this year, been so challenged in really looking at what balance means for me personally mm -hmm. because as soon as you stick your head up over the parapet someone's going to take shots at you and so you know I, I I have you know from all sorts of unexpected places really you know when you do things differently and um and people are interested in it and are talking about it and questioning it um there are those who don't necessarily agree with it in politics and in all sorts of other areas and also even internally when you are really like I said challenging who people are fundamentally and what they believe in as teachers you you can get 
those shots fired from within as well. So we, it's really important to have a balance. It's really important to, you know, and even when I'm, I've had a really challenging day and driving home and I think through, you know, processing what's happening and, and how I'm best going to approach it. And, you know, can I keep doing this? Am I, am I so battle weary from, from what I've had to do and the fights I've had to fight to get us to where we are that it, it just gets to a point where it's too much. And and I I reached that point where I sort of think, well, what else would I do? And and the answer is I don't want to do anything else. So I know so deeply that this is the work that is important, that the work that we do every day is so significant and it has to be done by brave people who are willing to keep going back into that fight every day. Um, and I am a better, more balanced person because of that challenge. I don't think I could do anything else. I don't think I could do anything that didn't involve young people. And working with children every day just brings me such joy and they make me laugh every single day. Um, and yeah. I don't think I could, I, I could sort of do anything that took me away from that. So I think you've got to reach that point where where you think so deeply about those kinds of things that you know that that you're in the right place. Mm. Yeah. Is there an area that um, in your life that you feel like you're currently under investing in? Um. No, I don't actually, and that's because that's I've worked really hard at it, and uh, I think you know we have. A, every year we have an, an overarching focus that connects our learning and our thinking and our community. And this year, last year was the year of the maker and this year is the year of play. And and so I believe that it's really important for me to to lead by doing. And so last year I, I started a whole lot of, I involved myself in a whole lot of workshops where I learned new skills and new new things that I, I now uses my mindfulness time and the time where I um you know can can just that. enjoy being creative. Um this year I have taken up guitar lessons because I've always wanted to learn guitar. Yeah. Um, so that's my play. Um, I also you know do Pilates every night and yoga on a Friday night. So I make sure I make time for those things in my day and my family know that they are always, and they have always known that they are my absolute priority. And I will never reject a phone call from one of my children if they need to speak to me during the day. So I think you've got to make those decisions. You've got to make those decisions for the things that are important in your life and um, and the balance. I think coming back to balance, that's what's super important. One thing can't outweigh another um, when it when it comes to you know, the way you, you choose to spend your day. And and I would say the same to my staff. And every week we have a Monday morning stand-up, which is just about the week ahead. And uh, we do it via Zoom because our building is over seven stories and people are spread everywhere. But every week I I come, I finish that with some kind of co-regulation, well-being type um, challenge or um, stimulus for them to think about for the week and or something that I've read or something that I've thought about that I that I just want them to make sure that they they take on board their own well-being and that they take responsibility for that as well yeah. so that we can maintain um, and support each other and do the work that we need to do. Yeah, I, I love that. And um, 
it's something that I've got a lot better at. Um, I have the privilege of being in an assistant principal role and and I think in the early years being in that role, which was probably eight years ago now, um, I, I don't think I did a very good job of that. Um, and um, I now have the privilege of working just in an amazing school one I will never take for granted. And it's really lovely to see that it is it is possible to love coming to work do meaningful work, work hard, and also not fall in an emotional heap at the end of the week. Like That's it right. is, it is, it, it is possible. And um, Stephanie, I, I want to be respectful of your time. Um, speaking of balance, I know we're getting on to close to nine o'clock at night on a school night. Um, and um, a final couple of questions. If I was sitting down with you, um, I've just finished university. I'm about to embark on a wonderful career in education. Um, what would be a, a short piece of advice uh, that you would give me? Uh, look, that's uh, such a an exciting time of life. And I, I would say if you were um, stepping into the world of teaching um, that you should go into whatever school setting you find yourself in and uh, be true to yourself, be true to what your educational philosophy, which which sounds really stuffy, but it's you've got to be true to yourself. And if you are going into education, you're going into it because you love kids. If you don't love kids, just back out now. Um, you you have to, I think, um, also be conscious of the fact that you you want to find a school that fits who you are, a school culture that resonates with you um, because I, I just find that a lot of people, uh, not just in, at Lingfield in other schools that I've worked in, who, who come in fresh and excited from university with all these ideas and all these ways that they want to, uh, things that they want to bring to teaching, um, and then they're crushed with, no, that's not how we do it around here, and just forget everything that you've learned at university because, you know, we'll tell you how things are in the real world. Um, yeah. You know, I'm not sort of wanting to make a comment either either way in terms of the way universities prepare us or the way schools then receive new teachers into the profession, but we've got to do things differently. And if we don't start hearing those voices that challenge the way we've done things and listening to you know, the voice of, of young teachers coming into the profession because, for goodness sake, we need them, um, and valuing those voices and and giving them the opportunity to learn and to fail and just to be supported in in um, trying new things, then education is not going to change mm -hmm. and it needs to change. We cannot keep doing things the way we have yeah. always done them. Um, it is a very difficult system to shift because um, you know we've, like I said at the beginning, we've we've all been in school and so. We all think we know what school is like, but unless we try something different, and I think fundamentally a lot of teachers know that they need to shift their practice. They know, they know that what is happening in schools today is not enabling young people to thrive in the world that they're going out into where they're going to be faced with some of the most, you know, unsolvable, wicked problems that, um, that we've ever had to face globally and we are not preparing young people for that world but they as teachers don't know how to shift they they they're afraid 
to shift because they they don't know what that looks like for them. But I would encourage any teacher or young person going, you know, coming into teaching to challenge that default position that they hold from whatever experiences that they've had, whatever frame they're looking at teaching through and to widen that frame, to mm-hmm. encompass new thinking, to challenge themselves and to hopefully find themselves in a setting where they can be supported, embraced to fail and, and all of those sorts of things that we know are so important in learning because we want to keep learning as teachers as well. We don't want to just be set in our ways and locked into a practice that we Amazing. will then repeat for the next 40 years. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I think that's so true. And um, Stephanie, I just wanted to say um, thank you so much for showing my uh, me and also so many other teachers around the world what is possible um, in education. Um, and I know it's no, you're not the only person that's been involved in this process. I know it's a team effort. Um, but thank you so much for being that pioneer and also, yeah, yeah, leading the charge. Um, it, it's really wonderful to talk with you. Um, and I can't wait to do a, a round two at some point because I feel like I have so many more questions now that I would love to ask you. Um, but like I said, I am aware uh, that it is uh, just after nine o'clock on a Thursday night. So thank you so much for taking the time. I really appreciate it. No problem. Absolute pleasure. Please um, encourage anybody to contact us and come and visit. We'd love to meet you. Fantastic. Thank you. Thank you for taking the time to listen to the Art of Teaching podcast today. I hope that you, like me, got some valuable insights out of our discussions. For show notes, please visit theartofteachingpodcast.com and I've also created a private Facebook group where we continue the discussion there. The link will be in the show notes. Thanks again for listening and can't wait to see you for next week's episode.